This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Derek Armstrong and Word of Grace Community Church. For more information, please visit WOGCC.com. You know, about two years ago, I had the pleasure and honor of being introduced to Pastor Dennis Episcopo, who is the pastor of Appleton Alliance. And I, was, I met him through uh, Pastor Andy and one of the people that works at the church. And God really did an amazing thing and just connected us. And we are both people of vision, both people of passion. And when I was thinking about this series that we're doing on evangelism called Lost and Found, I know that Pastor Dennis is just an evangelism specialist. And when I was thinking about this series, I thought, I want to bring in a specialist. And so I brought Pastor Dennis in. And he's going to share today about evangelism with you. So would you please give a big word of grace. Welcome to Pastor Dennis Episcopo. Good to be at Word of Grace. Good to be back with you guys. Uh, you know, I came, I came to uh, this area about 20 years ago from right outside New York City. And... Um, we came to Appleton, Wisconsin. I'd never been to Appleton. I'd never been to Wisconsin before. We come to uh, Wisconsin, and uh, the first thing that well, I want to check out is the Italian restaurants. <laughs> and what what they were calling Italian is terrible. <laughs> so I ended up having to come to Sheboygan. I, I would come here like three, four, five times a year just to get some decent Italian food. Now things have changed up there. Now they got an Italian restaurant. It's not too bad, but. Uh, Sheboygan was the place that always, that's where we have to go get our, you know, our fix of Italian food. Now, uh, now it's different. Now it's Word of Grace, too. I always, always think of Sheboygan. I love your pastor. I love your church. I love your vision. And God really does have some special things planned for you. I can just see that. It's all over this place. Well, uh, so uh, I've been brought in here <laughs> as the uh, hired gun to talk to you here about evangelism. But... Uh, you know, it's really, I don't even know if I like that word evangelism. Lost is what I zero in on. And that's why I like your uh, theme. Because it's all about connecting with people who are lost. Do you know that heaven, heaven is a place that is absolutely filled with joy. I mean, I know we're, we're looking forward to it. But it is a place, when you look at the descriptions in the scripture on heaven, it's filled with joy. Maybe you've heard the story of the elderly couple married about 60 years, and they're in good health primarily because of the wife's healthy eating and exercise that she's put into the household. So they get to heaven, and of course, St. Peter's there, and he's ready to give them a tour of their mansion. You know we all have a mansion, right? We're all going to have a mansion. John chapter 14, verse 2 King James Version says that those who follow Jesus, he's preparing a mansion. Now, if you use the NIV version, it says he's preparing a room. This is the only time I'm a King James person is because I take a mansion over a room any day of the week. But it's absolutely amazing, this mansion that he sees. And he, he goes in the backyard, beautiful golf course. And he's overwhelmed with joy. He says, how much does it cost here? What are the green fees? And Peter says, what are you talking about? There's no green fees. It's heaven. It's free. He goes into the dining room, and there's a table there, and it's this huge buffet, all kinds of foods and desserts like angel cake. 
all over the world, all kinds of food. And the husband says, how much does it cost? And Peter says, it doesn't cost anything. It's heaven. It's free. He says, no, wait a minute. What about that low-fat, low-cholesterol foods? Where are they? He says, this is what's great about heaven. You don't get fat. You don't gain weight. It's, 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 it's heaven. The husband gets ticked off. He takes his hat. He throws it to the ground. He looks at his wife and says, if it wasn't for your bran muffins, I'd have been here 10 years ago. <laughs> That's heaven. Full of joy. Full of joy. And how do we know that? Well, the Bible tells us that. Psalm 16. Let's look at the verse. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Do you believe that? I believe that. That heaven is going to be a place, listen, of not only joy, but pleasures forevermore. And why is heaven so joy-filled? Well, lots of reasons. First of all, there's nothing to be sad about. Nothing. There's no pain. Of course, many of us are looking for the great reunion that we're going to have with family or friends that have passed on. Uh, moms are going to be wanting to see, and there's no, there's no indication in heaven that there's children. It seems like we mature to adult form to see children maybe that passed away when they were young. There's no crying. There's no tears. Um, we all get new bodies. Everybody's buff in heaven. Perfect rest. We get to see Jesus face to face. We can't do that right now because we still have a sin nature. Remember the ark? They touched the ark. Somebody tried to study the ark. They touched it. They died. No, no, you, 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 you can't see him face to face now. But one day in our glorified state, we'll be able to see Jesus face to face. That's one of the things I'm looking forward to the most. But there is another component of joy in heaven and it's that Jesus talked about and he says it's when lost people get found when lost people get found there breaks out some joy in heaven Jesus talks about being lost that's the terminology he uses in fact there are three parables right in a row in Luke where God talks about how he feels about people who are lost. And the three stories, or three parables as we call them, are the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son, also called the prodigal son. All three stories have to do with someone or something that is lost. And unfortunately, the casual reader assumes when they read these three stories, that Jesus' messages are about being lost. But that's not true. That is not true. That is not the main theme and the main reason why God puts them right there in Luke. Actually, the theme of those three stories is joy. Joy. Each of the three stories ends with joy. In fact, all of them end with a party. Let's look at the first story. We don't have time to go through all three. So let's look at the first story. And I think you'll see this, the theme come out loud and clear. 
what makes God joyful. Let me give you some background, first of all, on the text we're going to use. Who is Jesus speaking to? Well, let's look at the first two verses. It tells us. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Three people mentioned. There's actually four, but I'm going to lump two of them together. So three people. The first is the tax collectors. Who are the tax collectors? Well, we all know who the tax collectors. We all know what a tax collector is, right? Especially this time of year. These are Jewish tax collectors. This is the Jewish IRS. They're hired by the Roman government to collect taxes. And the problem is, they not only charge the tax amount, they add a little thing called a surcharge. You know what we call that right outside New York City? Extortion. <laughs> this, is the, this is the Jewish mafia. These are, this is Nino Umbumbatstein. You might have a broken leg. You might wake up with a sheep's head in your bed if you didn't pay the tax on time. Everybody hates tax collectors. Everybody hated the tax collectors. Your pastor, he preached on Zacchaeus. He was, he was a major tax collector there. He probably was the head tax collector of all of Jericho. He probably employed many tax collectors underneath him. Because let me tell you something, when you're doing some arm twisting, you have to know the people you're twisting the arms. So Zacchaeus was the main guy. He probably had a lot of tax collectors underneath him. Tax collectors. Second group that's mentioned are the sinners. Now, who are the sinners? Come on, you know who sinners are. Sinners are non-churchgoers. They drink. They swear. You know, Chicago Bear fans, those kind of people. <laughs> the people that we Christians hang around a lot, right? We do that, don't we? I mean, we want to we wanna follow the master's example. So we hang around these people a lot, right? Church people do. Yeah. In fact, that's exactly what's going on here before Jesus tells this story. Because the third group are the ones that are the ones ticked off. Who are they? The church people. It's like people like you and me. Pharisees. Teachers of the law. They know their Bibles really well. They go to church every week. All the time. They're studying their Bibles. They obey God's laws. These church people. These Pharisees. But they're upset. Why are they upset? Because Jesus is hanging around tax collectors and sinners. It says they're all gathered around Jesus. It's like his posse, his buds, his friends. And the church people are saying, what, what is the, what's, what's this all about? Why is Jesus, who's supposed to be with us, why is he hanging around those people? He's supposed to be close to God. He's a pastor. He's a rabbi. And he welcomes those people. He invites them to be his friends. He even eats with them. He goes to their dinner parties. He socializes with them. What is that about? 
He's supposed to be a holy person. So Jesus tells three stories. Actually, uh, the first two stories kind of set up the third story. It's kind of the main story, the prodigal son. But he he sets it up with two stories first, lost sheep and lost coin. Jesus wants to confront this attitude he's seeing as he's hanging with these church people. He sees an attitude he doesn't like. It's their attitude towards lost sinners. So what he wants to do, here's what he's going to do. He's going to tell a story. Jesus is very, uh, very strategic, always very strategic. And he's going to expose their hearts in the story. He's going to kind of rope them in. Watch this. The first thing he does is he talks about the shepherd's responsibility. Verse 3. Now the tax collectors, and uh, then Jesus told this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? Now, this first story is about a shepherd who has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost. So Jesus now, keep in mind, he's telling this to church people. They know their Bibles. And he's saying, okay, let's take a a, a common illustration from today so I can make my spiritual point here. So he tells this story. And he says to them, he kind of draws them into the story. What would you do in this case? Suppose you had a flock of a hundred sheep and you lose one of them. Kind of wanders off. Very common for sheep. What would you do? Now, you have to understand, folks, how the Pharisees are thinking about this. They would never, ever be a shepherd. They wouldn't go near a shepherd because shepherds were unclean. The Pharisees, these church people, are above shepherds, and they understand the stories Jesus is telling. They just don't want to be in it. It would never be their responsibility to look after sheep. Not them. Interesting study done was described in a New Yorker magazine. A guy named Paul Piff. He's a millennial researcher, 30 years old, from University of Cal at Berkeley. And what he does is, very interesting, he studies wealthy people. And he wrote an article called The Money Empathy Gap. The money empathy gap. And his conclusions are through his research that the more money people make, the less humane and empathetic they become towards others. And so, in case people wanted to push back on his conclusions, he shows his research. And this article in New Yorker magazine was all about the research. Very interesting research. He did one study where he puts a pedestrian on a corner and he makes sure the person has, uh, makes eye contact with the drivers who were driving by. So he gets this pedestrian in a, a pedestrian in a zebra crossing. You know what a zebra crossing is, right? With the lines. And he's recording, he's studying uh, who will stop, which car will stop and show courtesy. And he tracks hundreds of cars that either stop or drive right through. And he finds that the more expensive the car is, the less likely it is to stop for the pedestrian. In fact, the worst cars were BMWs 
If you're driving a BMW, shame on you. No, only kidding. Nothing wrong with BMW. The second worst drivers were Mercedes. You ready for the third? I couldn't believe it. I was shocked. Prius drivers. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's Prius drivers. I think, you know why? Because they're so concerned about gas mileage and saving the environment. It's just they're saying, I will kill you if I have to, but I will not sacrifice my gas mileage and stop. I mean, this article was very interesting. He did another experiment, 200 college students in a room to play Monopoly. He gave, he gave some players $2,000, and every time they pass go, $200. He gave another, other players $1,000, and every time they pass go, $100. And when the $2,000 players got rich, they started taunting and trash-talking the other players. And they really got mean. Even a fake game makes somebody that makes somebody more affluent, affluent produces a colder heart. Amazing. So here's Jesus, Jesus, and he's dealing with wealthy people who have a little bit of an attitude here. And so he says this. Okay, uh, let, me give a, let me give you a story. Let's say you're a shepherd. According to Jeremiah, a historian, shepherds were believed to be dishonest, thieves, and one of the lowest levels of, of occupations. Now, it is true. I mean, and the Pharisees knew this. It is true that if you read in Jesus' Bible, which was the Old Testament, God is described as a shepherd. Is he not? Psalm 23. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. But the Pharisees, even though they knew God describes himself as a shepherd, they would never see themselves as stooping to the level of a shepherd a Bedouin lifestyle. You know, I, I go to Israel every year. If you, if you go to Israel, it's very interesting. Things have changed. You will see Bedouins. You'll see shepherds across the roadside. Many of them live in these kind of tent villages, but they have jobs. So many of them are educated, have degrees. They have jobs outside of this tent village. And, and not unusual to see a Mercedes SUV parked there. Things have changed a lot. Not, the time, not like the time here in Jesus' day. Typically, in Jesus' day, the average household, by the way, had about maximum, maximum, about 15 sheep. Many had just one or two. But here, in the story, there's a hundred. So what's going on here is probably this small village. They combined all the sheep, and they hired different shepherds and rotated them. This wasn't, these weren't hirelings. These weren't outsiders who abandon or steal the sheep. This is a family member. This is a shepherd, and probably more than one for a flock of a hundred, maybe two or three. Back to the question. Does the shepherd not leave the 99 in the open field and go after one lost sheep until he finds it? And the answer, folks, is a very simple yes, of course. Everybody knew that. Even the Pharisees knew that. That's what shepherds do. You have basically one responsibility as a shepherd, and that's to defend a helpless, defenseless animal. That's it. That's your responsibility. You must leave. Sheep have no self-mechanism 
to alert themselves that they're in danger. They're clueless to what's around them. Now, a lot of, you've heard this before, but people say sheep are dumb. Sheep are not dumb animals. Anybody who, who researches and knows, uh, they have studies on this, of course, that sheep are actually not dumb animals, but they are defenseless. It, the, the only thing they can really do is run. In fact, if, 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 if they fall on their backs and they're in full fleece, they may not be able to get up. They have no defenses, none, zero. So if they wander off and they don't have a shepherd to care for them, they could fall to exhaustion, they could fall to dehydration, or, of course, a predator. In fact, there have been uh, recorded incidents where sheep have been so uh, fearful and nervous that they even lie down and die. They become, they become so despondent and discouraged. So the shepherd must leave the 99 and go after the one lost sheep. Even the Pharisees know that. It's the shepherd's responsibility. The next part of the story, Jesus then des- describes the shepherd's joy. Shepherd's joy. And when he finds it, He joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. The average sheep weighs between 70 and 75 pounds. So when, it says, not if, again, not if, there's really no other option. The shepherd must find this defenseless animal. There's urgency here. When he finds the sheep, The shepherd joyfully puts it on his shoulders. There's value here. There's joy here. He's found the sheep. But what the story says is he doesn't keep it private. He calls his friends together. He calls his neighbors together who've been what? Who've been waiting, who've been watching for his return. And there is a huge celebration. Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. Now, at this part in the story, I believe the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, are absolutely tracking with Jesus. They're tracking with him. This is very logical, very familiar to them. They understand the ethical responsibility of a shepherd and the joy he would feel bringing home a lost sheep. They may not want to be in the story. They don't relate to the shepherd's lifestyle, but it is a normal story. They get it. Now watch what happens. Classic Jesus. Jesus is about to do what I call the great reversal. He turns the table on them, and he makes it a theological confrontation. He's about to respond to their attitude about sinners, their heart attitude about people who are lost. Because next in the story, he talks about celebration in heaven. Verse 7, I tell you that in the same way, there'll be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. 
Do you understand what Jesus has done right now? He has totally turned the tables. He is in fact using pure sarcasm. He's saying to them, uh, 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 of course, uh, this is not talking about you. Because you don't need to repent. See, there'll be more rejoicing in heaven over one of these sinners, one of these lost sheep that you really don't care about than over the 99 so-called righteous people like you who think they don't got to repent. In other words, nobody, nobody in heaven is rejoicing over you right now. Those sinners, they know they're lost. They're desperate. They're helpless. You, you think you're so holy. You think you're so close to God. But the truth is, you couldn't be further from the heart of God. You despise these lost. But God rejoices over them. You're so caught up in your spirituality and your trivial pursuits over the details of the Bible while all these sick and lost people are dying. They're dying all around you. They're like sheep without a shepherd. They're people. And they matter to God. And nobody's going out to find them. Nobody's going out to rescue them. Nobody's coming up to pick them up and carry them back. Nobody. You know nothing about shepherding. You know nothing about God. How warped are you? You don't even want to go near them. Pastor, can church people have an attitude like that? Oh, yeah. Every church. Your church, my church. Yeah. We, um, we decided about six months ago, we didn't have this on the radar screen when we were casting the vision originally, but the community came to me one day and we started talking about, I'm on the board of uh, uh, a major relief organization in the, in the Valley, and they're talking about adding $250,000 from the foundation to uh, the general fund because they want to start paying people's uh, Obamacare uh, uh, insurance premiums that they lack. They get three months behind in. I said, oh, hold on, time out. You know, it's a Band-Aid treatment. These people are hurting so much. We'll get them caught up, and a couple months later, they're back in the same place. I said, what we need is more medical clinics in the area to take care of like 80% of their needs. We only got one federally funded clinic and basically it's, it's not a f- true free clinic after the second or third visit they start running the tab I said we need a true free clinic another option for these people so they said well pastor need is great but we have nobody to you know, it's, not our, it's, it's not our vision it's not our mission here good idea but not our mission so I went back I grabbed one of my millennials one of my 20 somethings you know and I said hey here's the deal the community needs another clinic what do you think it was like uh, giving meat to a lion. I mean, it took off. It's absolutely. We'll do it. 
Before I know it, within like three or four weeks, we've got a strategic plan, we've got, we've got Theta Care, we've got Affinity, we've got all these vice presidents now, all, all in touch with got they got the drawings. So, long story short, three months ago we opened up a free medical clinic, Appleton Alliance Church. So it's phenomenal. When I was casting the vision for this in the pulpit, I get off one Sunday and I got a guy Who's, who's, who's a good Bible guy, loves the Bible, loves God, in the church a long time, Christian a long time, comes up to me and goes, Pastor, I don't know if you thought about this, but you know, we have some sick people here. We really, I mean, you know, do we really want sick people coming here? I said, well, you know what? I said, they're probably sitting next to you on Sunday already. Or how about the parent who came to me? This was a couple of years ago, two, three years ago. She came to me because, you know, she had, whole, she had like 10 kids and they're all homeschooled and they're all protected, real nice. And, and uh, she comes to me, she says, you know, my kids are not used to some of the stuff that some of these public school kids are coming to our, our, our youth group now. You know, it's very evangelistic. We got all these kids from the community coming out. And they say, I don't know if I want them hanging with some of these kids. And how about if we had a separate youth group? For our kids, church kids, and then a separate youth group for the, those other kids we want to reach. Now, fortunately, that's not the way most AACers operate. We wouldn't be the church we are today if, um, if that were the case. In fact, we just had an African pastor in that we have a sister church relationship with, and he said, Pastor Tomas, and he says, you know, let me tell you something. There's a lot of reasons why God blesses a church, but I know why he's blessing this church, because you have the heart of God. You really care about lost people. This place is like an emergency room. There's stuff going on all the time. It's very messy. But this person needs help here. This person, we never dare be like the Pharisees or the teachers of the law. Why are all these sick people here, Jesus? You got lepers around you. You got tax collectors. You got sinners. What's with that? Do you know what the earliest Christian symbol was? You might think it was a cross, right? Pretty typical. But it really wasn't. In fact, the early Christian believers didn't even use the cross as a symbol. Once in a while they had a fish, but that was mostly in the Gentile world. No, the earliest image was a shepherd with a sheep around his neck. Yeah, I've been to Rome. I've been to the catacombs. Go down there. You know what you'll see? A shepherd with a sheep. Beautiful. In fact, I think we should start a trend sometimes. What, how, how great that would be for an, you know, a, a leading question. Somebody, instead of wearing a cross, you got a shepherd with a sheep around the neck, and people would say, what's that all about? And you say, you know what that's about? Let me tell you. I was lost. Yeah. <laughs> I know what it's like to be lost. It's not fun. It's not fun. But then Jesus one day, he left 99 sheep. He came to find me. He came to find me. He came seeking after me. And he found me. And he carried me home to God. No greater joy in heaven than one sinner 
who repents. When the great shepherd lifts that person up, puts them on his shoulders, carries them home. Great joy in heaven. Let me pray. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit wogcc.com.